Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everybody. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I am joined by my co-host and Trojan legend, Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you? I am doing well. We have our second straight guest on the podcast this week, and this time it is USC Basketball Assistant Coach Chris Kapko. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing great. Glad to be on. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You know, we're looking forward to getting your perspective on this team that has really seemed to catch fire here. I mean, it, it, obviously, it was a successful season overall, but uh, two really strong games in the NCAA tournament for sure. And looking forward to hearing from you on that. I think, you know, just jumping right into it, I, I wanted to ask, you know, how was this team able to basically just bludgeon a really solid Kansas team in, in that second round game? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we... Uh... We felt like we were better than them, um, you know, even though the seating would say otherwise, but we felt like we were better. Where we're tough to beat is if we can make 10 plus threes. Now, obviously, we don't do that all the time, but our defense is always going to be there. Um, so if we're making like we made 10 against Oregon and we, we beat them by double digits um, on the year, we're next to last in the Pac-12 and three pointers made. And that's not by design. Um but it's just kind of how it's been. But when the days when the offense comes alive, we're really, really, really difficult to beat, and we're really, really difficult just to hang with. And the defense showed up again. And you know, the other thing that goes with making shots is now you got to play against a set D. And so when we're making shots, and now you got to go against this five on five, it's really tough. And I thought that showed the other day. So we made ten threes, and when we do that, we're going to be really tough, to, tough to beat. And I think that's why. Um, we were able to extend the lead and just, you know, kind of end up winning the way we did is ultimately our defense did what it did, but we just kept making shots. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point coach about getting set up on defense. And, you know, it's interesting. What I have actually thought has made your defense really good this year is the amount of man to man that you've been playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also really helps have Evan Mosley, you know, protecting the basket like that. But the zone seemed to really work against Kansas. I mean, what do you, what do you really attribute that to? Well, Evan, Evan is huge, so I don't want to misinterpret that. And honestly, I think he should be the National Defensive Player of the Year. But we have length everywhere, which is also imposing. And I've heard multiple people say it throughout the course of the week and as we move forward with the season, just our length is hard to prepare for. Because, you know, we start Drew at our two and Drew 6'8". He's legit 6'8". So we have wingspan and we have length everywhere. And I think that's imposing. Um You know, Kansas was a dribble drive team. If you watch the second half, man, they just tried to spread us out and drive us. And so we thought the zone would give them a different look. I think Evan is a huge part of it. But overall, just our length across the board is what makes it really tough. We come off the bench with Max. Max is 6'8", 6'9". Chavez is another 6'9 guy with good length. So even when we go to our reserves, we don't lose much in terms of length and athleticism. And I think ultimately that's kind of what – it can be imposing for a lot of teams, honestly. It's just you go in there and it's just a set of trees and you're not used to that at that extent, especially on a one-day prep for Kansas. 
Yeah, and, and one of those guys that has that kind of length is Isaiah Mobley. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, me personally, I kind of felt like that was the best game that I've seen him play uh, at USC just because, you know, he goes from making all those threes in the first half to in the second half really facilitating really well and making some really great passes as uh, as you guys were kind of running away from it. Is that kind of, kind of something that you saw from him? Do you feel like that was his best game? And, you know, how is he playing down the stretch of this season? Yes, it was definitely his best game considering the stage and then um, just the way he shot. He's uh, He finished the season shooting the ball really well. So we weren't really shocked to see that. He just continued it. Um, you know, the, the thing is, when you look at his year, he's not his numbers say nine and seven, but he's not far off from being like 14 and nine. Um, and the Kansas game was another indication like he missed some at the rim. He could have 25 easy you know, shots where he had an angle at the rim or point blank and just kind of missed it. So his game's not far away from really being like an all-league type guy. Um, But, you know, he's been shooting the ball well. He had been playing much better down the stretch. Defensively, he's gotten a lot better from last year to this year, and he's been a big part of our defense too because a lot of times we can put him on sometimes like the bulkier centers. We had him guarding McCormick at times. Um, And then other times throughout the year, he can kind of slide his feet and keep smaller guys in front, but he can also guard the bulkier centers. So – um Isaiah was great obviously that I to me that was his best game I think he would agree with that but he we would also say this all year that if if he can get going our trajectory as a team and our potential as a team is really really scary and that was just another indication I think when you see us play Kansas when he's making threes and he's scoring he's facilitating man we're tough yeah, I mean, he really helped spread out that defense. I mean, and and it wasn't just some catch and shoot threes. He had a couple threes off the dribble too. And you know, if you have a big guy like McCormick guarding Isaiah Mobley out on the perimeter like that, no one's stopping to step back three from Isaiah. Like, and he, it, it was it was great to see. Um, and I, I I've loved the and I, and you know he has really become one of your best post defenders, if not your best post mm-hmm. defender. Yeah. And you know, he had a bit of a calf injury kind of towards the end of the conference there. Is that, is he all good now? I mean, he's looking good. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. Good to go. Uh, Nothing other than what we actually played all our games this year, just kind of the, the bruises and the nicks that you get throughout the course of a season, but nothing that's been, I mean, we haven't even had to hold him out of practice. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut. No, no, he's fine. He's, he's fine. All right, that's sweet. That's that's good to hear for sure. Uh, last thing that I wanted to ask on uh, that Kansas game is, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but do you feel like that was this team's best, you know, wire to wire, both ends of the court performance to, you know, take out a, a really solid, you know, power five, you know, three seed in the NCAA tournament? And, and do you feel like that indicates that this team is peaking at the right time? Yeah, I mean, I think we are peaking at the right time. I think, um, you know, if you look at our league, we kind of always felt our league was better than people gave it credit for. So some of the losses in the league, you know, like we took, we thought Colorado was a really good team. You know, we lost them three times, but, you know, you had to beat us at the buzzer to kind of knock us out. Um, You know, UCLA, we never quit. We always thought UCLA was good too. Um, So we felt like we had beat good teams and to be at the top of the pack this year, we felt like was a really good achievement. But we are peaking, and I think Kansas was indicative of that, just the way we played. I think that was almost as good as you could ask, to be honest with you, because we made 11 threes. Um, but we feel like we had been kind of putting that together, just in terms of playing better offense. Taking We took care of the ball well in both games, too, um, You know, which you can't understate because that's key in winning games. We've defended at a high level the last two games. 
Um, the guys are playing really unselfishly and just playing together, which you hope for this time of the year too. And everyone's bought into winning. So I do feel like we are peaking at the right time and playing our best basketball. And, you know, hopefully we can keep the shooting going. Cause that will be, you know, that will be a big indication as to winning the rest of these games. You gotta make shots in these games. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny coach when you were, when, when we were all watching the, you know, selection Sunday show, and the SC resume came up. It was like bad loss, Oregon State, who is in the Sweet 16. Like <laughs> it, it's exactly. like, you know, talk about, you know, not the conference not getting the love that that it deserves. Um, it's it's frustrating. And hopefully, you know, everything that the Pac-12 has done in the postseason, you know, moving forward the next couple of years, it'll give the West Coast basketball a, a little bit more love. Um, so let's let's chat a little bit about Oregon. Other than Kansas, I thought that was one of the best games that we played all year. I mean, the intensity that y'all came out with in the beginning, going up like 17 to one or whatever that was, you know, I, I'm sure Oregon's going to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder after getting blown out by us earlier in the season. What, what are you preparing for? What do you think they're going to come out with? If you watch the game, we did come out with a lot of intensity. But again, what we're talking about in terms of Kansas, we made shots. Taj made, I think, his first three at first three threes and they maybe had, I don't know, 11 of the first 17, something like that. He was on fire. Um, and ultimately we made 10 threes. So we beat him by 14. Again, we, we defended like we normally do. We held him to 21 points in the first half playing exclusively, man. I think we played exclusively, exclusively, man, the whole game. They ended up scoring 58 points at 56 against Iowa at, at halftime. Um, the second half, it became a track meet, and they pressed us the whole game and the whole second half, and it really got up and down, and we turned the ball over a little more in the second half than we would have liked. Uh, we still defended for the most part, but when they turned us over, they ended up hitting one three in the first half, and they hit six in the second half. And most of them were due to our turnovers and transition and things like that. So if I had to guess, you know, they're, st they're starting smaller now. They basically start five guard forward type guys. And I would guess they're probably going to ramp up the pressure from the start and try to try to make it a full court game as opposed to a half court game would be my guess. Um, they're not big, you know, which is a, an advantage to us. But I think if they if I had to guess if they feel like they can play us in the full court, they probably feel like they get a better chance than playing us in a half court game. So I think the keys will be one taking care of their their pressure, us taking care of the ball and handling the pressure well. Um, and then probably, again, to, you know, just like the Kansas game, the three-point line, our three-pointers versus their three-pointers. If when we lost to Colorado both times, the last two times, they hit 12 threes. You know, if Oregon makes 12 threes, which they're capable of in the last game of the regular season against Oregon State, they hit 15. Against Iowa, they hit 11. If they hit 11 threes and we only hit six, it's probably going to be a long night. So I think the two biggest things are taking care of the ball, handling the pressure, and then the three-point line. Yeah, and – you know, you've had two games preparing for in the NCAA tournament where you hadn't played them before. They're not in your conference. They're not a, a general team that you play. How does it kind of change an NCAA tournament preparation and uh, when you're looking ahead to this game when it is a team that you have played before this season? Yeah, I just think it makes it easier because we're just more familiar with them. Um, you know, ideally, I think Andy even came out and said, I like to play someone else other than Oregon. And not because we're scared or anything like that. It's just we play Oregon every year. You know, I like to play somebody different. But having said that, I mean, they're the, the next opponent. So it didn't really change anything. I almost treat like the regular season, break out the game from last time we played them. Um, 
you know, talk about some adjustments we can make or maybe that they'll make. Um, and honestly, that's about it. But the NCAA tournament doesn't change our preparation for them. I guess it'd just be like just a regular Pac-12 or Pac-12 tournament game where we're familiar with our opponent, more familiar than normally we would be um, in this setting. And, you know, just be ready to, uh, you know, prepare. And, and basically that's it. But the, the setting of the NCAA tournament really doesn't change how we'll prep for them. What's kind of interesting is Oregon – Oregon's the only team this year in or in the pack. I'm sorry, in the NCAA tournament that's been affected by COVID. And luckily for them, it was the other team and they got to move on. When they played Iowa tournament has benefited from COVID. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, what, going into that Oregon Iowa game, I actually thought the game was going to go the other direction because Iowa had already played a game the kind of March Madness jitters were out. I thought Oregon would have a little bit of those jitters coming in, but they came right out and just stomped Iowa basically from the get-go. Like you said, they put up 50-something in the first half and then kind of ran away with it the second half. Do you think that that not playing VCU in the first round really benefited Oregon, and how do you think that goes into to playing their second game against you when you'll have two games under your belt? Yeah, I don't think it mattered that much, honestly. At this time of the year, like – we played 30, what are we, 24 and 7, so we played 31 games. The energy, you know, for us, we haven't played in front of nobody this year, anybody, literally nobody. Other places throughout the country, they played in front of, it's, you know, not full crowds, but capacity, some level of capacity. Well, Hinkle, the other night, we had 25% capacity. To us, it felt like a sellout. So, you know, the energy, all that stuff, it was there. Everyone knows what's at stake. I don't think them missing a game really benefited um them one way or another playing the Iowa game other than you know VCU could have beat them but they could have beat VCU either you know what I mean at this point in the tournament yeah. anyone could really beat anybody on any given night so you know it was just one less game to kind of avoid a bad shooting night foul trouble injury or something like that and that's not to take anything away from Oregon because they're talented and they could have easily maybe they beat VCU by 22 who knows we'll never know um, but I don't think it really changed much, honestly. I think the way they played was a tough matchup for Iowa. Um, you know, the pressing, I could see why, if you're not accustomed to them, playing them on a one-day prep like Iowa did is a tough adjustment. They press, they're very light sizes, they switch a lot of things. Um, all their guys can shoot, probably much different than a lot of the Big Ten teams they played throughout the year. So the adjustment was there. And the same for Oregon, but they imposed their will on the game more so than Iowa imposed their will. Um, so yeah, I don't think it really affected them much. I just, you know, everyone's going to be ready to go. Everyone knows what's at stake and, um, maybe some jitters, but I, I bet they got over those pretty soon or pretty fast and, you know, adjusted fairly easily. Yeah, I, I think Chris mentioned that Oregon might come into this game with kind of a chip on their shoulder. You said, you know, obviously we're not afraid of Oregon. Is there some degree of that with, with your team too, given, you know, that Oregon won the Pac-12 and uh, not, you know, putting any words in your mouth here, but they did play fewer games. Uh, and Some people kind of mentioned that as a, as, a, as a thing because of the COVID breaks. Do you feel like your team has a chip on, on its shoulder entering this game? We have a chip on our shoulder, but it's not like we have a chip on our shoulder towards like we want to beat Oregon because we want to get to the Elite Eight. And it's not this has nothing to do with the Pac-12 anymore, to be honest with you, because even if we win, it's still going to be in history books about Oregon winning the Pac-12. Like, what, you know, we'll brag about it on social media or something like that, but it won't change the outcome. So it's more important for us to win to get to the Elite Eight because it's the Elite Eight at this point. 
you know, we can sit there and say, yeah, we should be the winners because we beat them twice, but nothing changes. You know what I mean? So we haven't really focused a lot of our energy. I know Isaiah came out and said something. I don't think he meant anything by it. And, and I think people kind of ran with it. We put it more. I, I'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth. I put it more on the league that they let that happen, to be honest with you. Um, and it's not Oregon's fault. You know, as far as I know, they tried to make up all their games. But a team that went 15 and five and played all their games, won the most games in the league, should have won the league, in my opinion. Um, and something at the management level. And I know everyone voted on it and this and that. But to me, there had to be enough time for them to make these games up that they didn't do earlier in the year. So, you know, but there's a chip on our shoulder because our guys want to make the Elite Eight. We want to make a Final Four. Um, Oregon just happens to be the next opponent. But the Pac-12 stuff, even if we win this game, it's not changing anything. So I, we haven't spent a lot of energy on that, honestly. Other than that, we just want to make a Final Four and keep this run going. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, like you said, you're not rewriting the history books. What's yeah. done is done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, let, let's kind of talk about the tournament. I mean, you know, you've obviously been to the tournament a few times. Um, it, it's obviously different this yeah. year, right? Um, kind of, you know, for a lot of us who obviously can't be there, can't see games, can't go to Indy, kind of talk to us a little bit about like how different it really is compared to previous times that you've gone to the tournament, how that's kind of affected the team. Yeah, honestly, it hasn't affected us in terms of our play. It's just at this point in the year, I think everyone's used to everything. We uh, early in the year when we made that trip to Connecticut, we did a bubble type setting where we were gone for seven days in Connecticut in our hotel room for seven days. So we got our bubble experience fairly early. Um, you know, what you miss about the tournament is a lot of times the setting, the open practices that have good energy about them, and then the games are sellouts for the most part, right? And you have a lot of, you know, if we were probably, if this was a normal year, probably as a 60, we'd probably be playing a first-round game somewhere close to L.A., at least on the West Coast. Um, and you'd probably get a fair amount of Trojan fans and a good following and things like that for those first two games. And, you know, so you just miss that energy. Um but to me, all year, even without fans in the games, I thought the runs, the games have been pretty good and pretty intense. And I honestly, I feel like the year has kind of worked its way out how it was supposed to. The teams who should be here are here. The teams who weren't supposed to make the tournament haven't made the tournament or hadn't made the tournament. And the tournament's no exception. Like, Drake played hard, man. Those guys played hard. Mm-hmm. Um, even without the fans and the energy that comes with it, like, the actual competition has been great. And the same with Kansas. Kansas was our most physical game of the year. And with the referees allowed, man, I mean, every drive, hands, they came out ready to go. Mm-hmm. So I think the actual competition component has been great. Like I said, yet yeah, the other night there was only 25% capacity. It felt like a sellout to us because we haven't had anybody in the, in the stands. Um, but the actual competition part of it, I don't think it's changed at all. I think, man, they've been really good runs, really competitive runs, really good teams, physical teams, and – the teams who are supposed to be here are here and the teams who aren't supposed to be here aren't here. And I think, you know, the teams who made the tournament, I think it worked itself out how it was supposed to. The only thing you miss from the tournament is the fans, but the exposure of the TV is still there. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is really just kind of the fan setting and the sellout games and, and stuff like that. So when you look at it, you know, you're one of the 16 teams that's still playing for a national championship, you know, just for you personally, what's kind of what's kind of going through your going through your mind right now as you look at that opportunity? Yeah, we it, it is. And um, it's a big opportunity. It's only the fifth time in USC history 
So we've talked to our guys about that, that that's a big deal. You know, there's only been four other teams who have done this. You know, we've wanted our guys. We've also tried to emphasize enjoying this week, enjoying this time, um, because who's to say you make it next year or the following year? Who's to say you ever get back? You know what I mean? So you can't take these opportunities for granted. Enjoy this moment. Um, for us as coaches, you know, again, the same mindset. Who knows when you're going to get back or if you'll ever have a team that's good again or things like that. And so we're trying to enjoy it as well. But the task at hand, you know, this is a huge game, a chance to get to the Elite Eight. And if you get to the Elite Eight, you have a chance to get to the Final Four. So all the goals that we set forth through at the beginning of the season are still in play. And that's important to us, too. So we want to enjoy this moment. But we also understand there's a, you know, there's a bigger goal for us out there. And we want to continue to keep our focus, let the guys not be satisfied about being here, which I don't think they are. Um, and then just come out and put out a good effort against Oregon and try to try to keep this thing going for at least one more game. You see the the pregame and the postgame shows uh, on CBS and TNT and all that stuff. Everyone talks about Hinkle Fieldhouse and how the history of that place being there, having the tournament there is so special. Uh, give us your thoughts on that. Like, how, how cool is it to be there? Hinkle was awesome. I wish we played the rest of our games there. And um, I, I think it was – I don't know if it was just Hinkle, but Hinkle was great because it was an intimate setting. 8,000 seats that even when you only have 25% people in there, the way it's configured with behind the basket, there's like a balcony type seating uh, available, which some of our fans were there. So it feels like they're on top of you. So you get that energy. Um, yeah. I wish we played the rest on there. It was just intimate. You could hear our people. There was good energy in the arena. The first game we played, we played at Banker's Life, the NBA arena, and it was okay. Nice arena. But that, those are the times where you talk about being in the tournament where you're playing in an NBA arena that fits 18,000. And now instead of it being a sellout, there's 25% capacity and it still feels some energy, but a little empty, mm -hmm. you know, so Hinkle, because it was smaller, it just had a better overall environment, um, great college basketball environment, um, Kansas fans in one area, USC fans in one area, and everyone just kind of, you know, getting loud at different times of the game. Um, so I don't know if it was just Hinkle. I'd always heard of Hinkle, obviously the mover, the movie um, Hoosiers, you know, you know, of Hinkle. And uh, but I think it was more or less just the setting, the game, the environment, the juice, things like that, that really created a great game experience for us and our guys. You know, you kind of spoke to this a little bit earlier, but uh, I, I did want to ask, you know, what's the vibe with the with the players specifically? You know, you said you've been telling them, oh, this is, you know, an opportunity. Enjoy it, but don't let it kind of go to waste or, or anything like that. Are they are they, you know, like pretty loose or are they, you know, very competitive and motivated right now? You know, like what's the vibe of the players? on the Yeah, team? we had a great practice yesterday. Guys went hard. We gave them uh, we played Monday. We gave them Tuesday off yesterday. We got back at it. They went hard. Um, today, they, the guys have, you know, we haven't just showed up to games and won games. Every step of the way, like practice, preseason, they've been unbelievable in terms of their focus and coachability and things that we've asked them to do. So I think they believe in themselves. I think we have a confident group, but I don't think we have an arrogant group. Um, I think those are the personalities of our team. Um, so I think they've enjoyed the last week. They really have. Um, but I think they're also focused and confident in what we can do on Sunday, but I don't think they're overly arrogant just because we beat them one time. That's just what's going to happen. So I, we got the right group of kids and the right temperament to handle success. I think we've done that all year. 
you know, some programs or some places you win, if you're not used to it, you know, there can be a level of just comfortability that comes with it. But I think, you know, we had a younger group last year, won a lot of games too. Um, this group has handled success well all year. Um, so I don't see why Sunday would be any different. We're going to come out, we're going to play hard. They're going to compete. They're going to do what we've asked them to do. Um, you know, whether we make shots or not to be determined, but the right mindset will be there. I was going to say, you know, coach, you used a word earlier in this that, you know, really kind of resonated and I totally agree. And that's unselfish. I feel like this team is, you know, they make the extra pass to get a guy a better shot than what they had and the way they move on defense, they're, you know, help side recover to shooters, everything that they've done. It's like looking out for their teammates. And that's something that's really resonated with me this year as a former player watching the squad and that I'm very appreciative of. And that's obviously a testament to not only the players, but, you know, you guys coaching them up and, and teaching them that way. Mm -hmm. yeah, but it starts with, you know, coaching, you, it all comes down to your players. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, we had, I mean, it starts with Evan. Evan is unselfish, super unselfish. Could be far more selfish and no one would even bat an eye because he's that talented. So it starts and ends with him. He's super unselfish. Isaiah's unselfish. You know, that's how even before like we beat BYU by 30, but that's how you, you win blowouts. You do the right thing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, we beat them by 30. We beat Kansas by 34. I mean, we beat Oregon by 14. We were at 20 most of the game. Um, you know, we beat Arizona by I think 16 or 18 on the road, whatever that was. We beat Irvine by 35. We beat Santa Clara by 25. We've had a lot of blowouts because, you know, you keep doing the right thing over and over. We've had teams before where we would win games, but we couldn't necessarily blow them out because once we get up 16, 18 points, now it'd be time for everyone to kind of do their own thing a little bit. You know, this year's team, even when we get up 20, 22, things like that, the guys continue to just kind of play how they play. And that's sharing the ball and making the right play and, and doing the right thing. So we just have an unselfish group of guys. Mm -hmm. And that carries over to an unselfish group of basketball players. These guys are unselfish in their everyday life. And, you know, when they hit the court, it's no different. You know, Taj is another great example. Like Taj had, I'm trying to think what he had against Oregon. I think 21 in the first half. No. Mm -hmm. Did he have 21 in the first half against Oregon? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he did. did. He finished with 24. He, I think he took one shot the second half. You know, there's times where Taj could shoot more and he doesn't because he won't take a bad shot. He only mm -hmm. takes good shots, you know, and he has, that's coming from a senior who a lot of people would be like, okay, I got to get mine. I'm a senior. It's time for me to go out on a good note. And he has, but he won't take bad shots. He won't take bad shots. He won't take risky passes to make himself look good or anything like that. So, you know, he's another unselfish dude who plays the right way. And then, you know, I could go down, go down the list, but, you know, Isaiah White, Chavez Goodwin, these guys are grad transfers who a lot of grad transfers transfer to schools because they want a bigger opportunity. These guys have bought into roles and have been really good in their role. And when it doesn't go their way, they're the same guys they are when it does go their way. And so, you know, we just uh, just an unbelievable group of kids and unselfish kids to their core. And when they hit the basketball court, it's no different. And when mm -hmm. we're up 20, it's no different. Or when we're up 10, it's no different. That's just who they are. Yeah. And, you know, it's you make a really good point there, coach. And it's in the, the environment that is very prevalent in college basketball right now, which is the transfer portal. Right. To have transfers, grad transfers come in who, like you said, know their role right away, even when they're only here for a year. 
is very special. Um, and, and, and it's hard to come by. I mean, we've seen transfers from all over the country that, you know, like you said, they, they come into a team and they expect to be the guy um, and to be able to, you know, have these transfers come in. They know they have one year and they know that their job is to, you know, come off the bench and give, you know, 10, 11, 12 good minutes. That's very special. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the transfer portals and I don't know if epidemic's the right word, but it's just it's the way of life now in college basketball. Yeah. It's just a way of life. Retaining your guys is harder than ever. So finding team first guys that are out there, but you have to kind of cipher through all the, you know, other stuff to make sure that you're getting the right guys because there's a lot of guys now who are looking for bigger and better. And transferring doesn't always mean that, but you can still find the ones who are about winning. And we've been lucky to find the guys who want to win, but are talented young men too and can help you win basketball games, but they're about the right things. Well, you've been very generous with your time so far, so I wanted to wrap it up with this last question. And, uh, you know, I always just love hearing the, the stories that come from the people who have been around a team for a whole season. And you're not gonna be in, in season reflection mode yet. You still have a lot to play for, but, uh, you know, when you think back on coaching this year's specific team, you know, are, are there any, you know, like stories that come to mind, any anecdotes, stuff that you kind of point to, like saying, oh, yeah, that kind of like captured what this season was like? It's been a long year just because of playing in a pandemic. Um, I don't know if there's one moment, you know, um, playing the three game weeks has been tough on our guys. Um, I've really, I, yeah, I can't look back at one moment other than some of the games, you know, I'll always remember Taj's shot against UCLA, but like I would always remember Jonah's shot against UCLA. I'll always remember beating Kansas by 34. Um, but I've really enjoyed this group of guys and we've been fortunate at USC to coach good teams and a, and a good group of guys, but this group of guys has been, you know, special just from start to beginning and how, you know, just because you get a team doesn't mean they're always going to allow you to coach them how you want to coach them. They've allowed us to coach them and challenge them and coach them hard when we've needed to, um, and they've responded. So I don't know if there's one moment to answer your question, but this has been a fun year. It's been a long year, but it's, a, it's been a fun year, and it's been a rewarding year too, um, just to see guys get better and grow. And like last year, Quentin Adlish and Daniel Utomi came here to make the tournament, and we were going to make the tournament, and then, you know, they're three or four days away from Selection Sunday and a week away from the tournament, it gets taken away from them. To see guys like Taj come here to make the tournament, to see Chavez playing the tournament and those guys who came here who wanted to accomplish something, get to, you know, get to accomplish something is rewarding. Um, to get to see our guys get better is rewarding. Um, you know, and that's just, that's part of coaching college kids. There's a lot of moving parts. They're all getting older. Um, but we've had a group who's been about winning and it'll, you know, basically be the bar as we move forward is finding really good kids who are about the right things and who will do what we ask them to do and will be coachable um, and care about winning and care about doing the right thing. So I'll always remember those, this team for those reasons. Um, even if we would have lost to Drake, um, it still would have been a special year to us and coaching this group. And we would have been proud of what we had accomplished, but making it to the sweet 16 has been a nice cherry on the top and hopefully we can keep it going. And if we do that, that will be, you know, be another notch, uh, on our belt for this team, just making an elite eight and, you know, and, and the run we went on with this group. Yeah, coach, you know, can't thank you enough for coming on. You know, I, I do have to say that, you know, the last time SC went to the Sweet 16 was my senior year. Um, so just so proud of you guys. And, uh, you know, we're just hoping that, you know, 
you know, final four national championship is in the cards and uh, can't appreciate you more taking the time to, to jump on the show with us. And uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be rooting for you on Sunday. Appreciate you, Chris. Appreciate you, Aiden, man. Appreciate your guys' support. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can make you guys even more proud on, uh, on Sunday. So appreciate everything you guys do, man. We know, uh, you know, that's the one thing has been fighting for constant support and you guys, you know, Aiden, I know I've known Chris, but I'm assuming if you're doing this podcast that you've probably been supporting us for far longer than just this year. So, you know, you guys have been there through the tough times. And now that, you know, we kind of got this thing going, you guys will still be there and just appreciate the overall support. Yeah. You know, for me personally, I'm a senior at USC, haven't seen a March Madness team in, in my time here. And this season, you know, not knowing that it was going to happen with the way that this team has played and the special journey that it's been for them. It's just been a lot of fun to watch and it will be a really great memory for for me, you know, moving on from from USC now. So it's been a lot of fun to watch and, and looking forward to seeing what more you guys can do. No doubt. The one thing I would say, though, that the only thing that sucks about this year for you guys is criminal that nobody got to watch Evan play. Oh, man, don't even tell me about it. I, yeah. I mean. Oh, it's so sad. It's so frustrating. It's been, it's been criminal that no one's got to see him play in person because he's he's going to be an all timer. I think uh, he's gonna he's gonna have a really special NBA career. Just an unbelievable kid too. So, all right, everyone, this is editing Aiden talking now. Due to some construction related audio issues, we weren't able to end this podcast in the manner that we normally do. But I want to again thank Coach Tapko for coming on the podcast. I certainly learned a lot from talking to him, and I hope that everyone else listening did too. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else that podcasts exist. We will see you next week and fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.